Judy Drigoy from Sheridan, Wyoming. And I'm a big grateful member of the uh, Worldwide Fellowship Valenon. And I have some notes up here. Getting up here, I liked what Chuck said last night about it's a long ways from up here out there to right field, and it's kind of scary. And um, so just run along with me, please. Uh, I want to thank the um, committee for asking me to share with you this morning. And I'm not exactly sure, although I do have notes, what it is I'm going to share. I um, am just learning that if I will uh, turn it over and ask my higher power to put the words in my mouth that he wants you to hear, that that will happen. But I have to get out of his way in order to do that. And <clears throat> so I'm going to try and do that. Let me start out by saying to you that I am one of Al-Anon's um, miracles. Uh, I got to this program distraught, weighing about 84 pounds, losing my hair, um, unreasonable, irrational. And because of this program, That's not true anymore. Not always am I uh, rational, but most of the time. Not, <laughs> not always am I reasonable, but most of the time. And I work, I work hard on that, and I've come a long ways. Before I got to Al-Anon, um, I was... Uh, kid raised in Sheridan, Wyoming, born and raised in Sheridan, Wyoming, and um, I was compliant, and I was a perfectionist. I tried to be a perfect child, um, second child of three, <coughs> pretty critical and judgmental of other people. You wouldn't have known that, however, because I didn't say it out loud. I just thought it and acted on it. I wanted, as a kid, I wanted to belong desperately. And I went for many years trying to find places where I belonged. And one of the you know, kids grow up uh, finding those places they belong in a number of places. And um, in my early years, I did some swimming, and I, I belonged there. I did a lot of team kind of swimming. And then in, in high school, I was a cheerleader, and I belonged there. But, you know, those are short-lived. Um, I got out of high school and went on to college, and I'm not sure exactly for whom I went to college um, because I got there and I couldn't decide whether I wanted to get my studies taken care of or be social butterfly and that's really hard, kind of hard to do. I was studying nursing and it's hard to stay up all night or half the night and then go to the hospital. I graduated and I went on to, and I graduated from the University of Wyoming, which is a kind of a party school. Um, and those are good years. I don't want to knock that. Um, I went on to work for quite a few years. Um, I was socially isolated lots of times. I was socially um, uh, isolated. I, I didn't go out a lot. When I was, li I, I lived a number of different places and when I was living in Denver for a long stretch of time I, I um, dated somebody that I worked with and got engaged and got out of it quickly because it was scary. He was doing some using of what I wasn't sure in addition to alcohol. 
Um, and I was drinking right along with him. But it made me think about the people in my life who had been either users or controllers. And I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but I didn't think that that was very healthy for me. So I broke off the engagement and I um, <coughs> decided that I would go back to school and did. And I went, I was living in Denver at the time, so I went to DU and um, graduated from the University of Denver in social work with the idea of uh, doing counseling. And I did that. But in the process, I met another controller and a user and hooked right up with him. And uh, we eventually married. Weren't married for long because it was um, for all the wrong reasons. But, uh, that div divorce uh, came about, and within a couple of years, I met and rejuvenated a high school relationship with a fellow who had two children and now and, and was divorced and I had been very fond of him in high school and we hit it off really well. I knew from high school that his family, in his family, there was alcoholism. And I knew there had been treatment for alcoholism in his family. And I knew that he was more than likely um, a problem drinker, if not more. So I thought I was going in with my eyes open and this marriage would make a big difference. Now, none of you have heard any of that, of course, before. But I was, I had it in my head that, you know, he treated me very, very special. And I had a lot of influence over what he did. Ha. <laughs> Within about six months of uh, getting married to this man, let me back up a minute. These two children that he had were ages two and a half and three. And I grew up um, playing dolls for years beyond my peers. And, and being a mom just, you know, was really nice in addition to that. I just was really crazy about this guy. So, um, that tie was already there before we got married and within about six months um, things were uh, obviously out of kilter and I went to him in tears one day and said you know we can't this can't go on like this uh, the kids and I just struggle with your disappearing and your um, strange behavior and and have you, would you, will you consider treatment? He ended up going. Um, nothing changed in, in the marriage. The, the marriage continued, but nothing changed in terms of our relationship or the using, and I just got sicker. Um, and I managed, and I, um, took care of everything that I knew to take care of, which is what any of you would probably have done too. At one point, um, he lost his job and we moved. We were living in Casper at the time. And before we moved and he went to treatment, uh, it was recommended that I go to Al-Anon. And I can remember thinking to myself, you know, what do I need Al-Anon for? I'm doing fine. I'm managing all of this stuff. How can you tell me that I need to go? 
But I went because he was willing to have treatment and I thought I, I needed to um, at least address some issues if that would be helpful to him. So I, I went to Al-Anon. But it wasn't for me. It was for him. You heard um, Chuck talk last night about Beach North Beach Clubhouse, and that's where I started Al-Anon, but I didn't get to know anybody. I sort of um, melted into the walls, and I melted into those couches he described, and I... <laughs> I didn't let a soul get acquainted with who I was or why I was there um, or what I wanted to do about it, if anything. He lost a job and we uprooted ourselves and made one of those geographic moves into Montana. I didn't go back to Al-Anon. And of course I got sicker. And that's... Um, probably when I started losing some weight, um, not eating correctly, I wasn't sleeping very well. Um, the, I was hearing um, things like threats of divorce. Um, he was off doing whatever people do when they're drinking and using and, um, and I wasn't there. Uh, there were other women and, and there were just um, circumstances that I didn't have any control over although I was still trying to control I was still trying to manage I was still trying to make sense out of all of this when I was told to go to Allen on the first time it was at this treatment center that my husband had gone to and when the re when the circumstances in the in the relationship continued to get progressively worse we um, talked about more treatment I know today that's not necessarily the answer um, I had quit going to Al-Anon and I needed to get back to Al-Anon and because of some co-workers that I happened to be uh, with who were who were going to Al-Anon I'm sure that's why they that she was put into my life at this particular time about a year after I stopped going to Al-Anon this woman appears in my life and um, says you're having some trouble with alcohol in your life and I said yeah and she said why don't you come with me to a meeting and I thought oh here we go again <laughs> but my health was deteriorating and uh, about about then um, he was asking for a divorce and he started making threats um, to my life um, to my uh, relationship with the children um, financially he was no longer bringing his check home um, and I was getting scared <coughs> I did some things at that particular time and I'm not sure where I got the courage to do that and nobody told me to do it. One of the things that I did was go to the bank, um, one of the bank officers and say, you know, we have this large mortgage with payments on our house and it takes both of our paychecks. I can't do that now because he's not bringing his paycheck home. And I didn't know what I expected to happen from that but I needed to have somebody's help and I wasn't accustomed to asking for help and this is one of the places that I went to to get some tangible kind of help um, the bank officer did what he needed to do in order to make the payments uh, occur and they did I had somebody tell me that I needed to financially take care of myself and, and we had started putting uh, equal amounts in two banks so we had um, two accounts that were one to be used for savings one was uh, just a checking every month kind of payments 
expenses. And I, I remember saying, "Gee, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can take one of those um, bank accounts and just put it in my name. That that doesn't sound real fair." <laughs> I, I did do that, and I know I, I can remember feeling like I had just robbed a bank, um, but I did do that, and, and and I think back now at, at that was all that I, I came out of that marriage with was what I had taken from the bank account and put in my own name. The situation just increased and got worse. I continued to to go downhill and I described to you when I started how I where I got to weighing 84 pounds losing my hair um, developing ulcers um, I was a wreck I was a basket case and I I can remember somebody at work I was working at Warm Springs at the time in Montana and I remember somebody at work saying to me gee Judy your pants are so loose do you want them that way and I thought, gee, I'm losing weight. Why would they be, you know, I felt pretty good about it. Well, I did, had not yet even been able to look at myself in the mirror and see how 84 pounds isn't very much weight. I'm not a very big woman, but 84 pounds is the weight that people die at. And it had not yet occurred to me what, I, what was happening to me, what I was doing to myself, what I was allowing to go on. And... Towards the end of this particular period of time, um, my husband at the time persuaded me to go to treatment with him again. I had been, I had left and returned, left and returned several different times. He could always persuade me to come back. I, I have said for years, I guess I will continue to say, that um, he, he is a salesman, perhaps many of you are too, and he was silver tongue. He could he could sell me the shirt I was wearing, and I'd pay him for it. It you know I just believed what he said, and that was the way it was. Then, so I decided that I would I would go down to treatment with him again, and we were going to take the whole family this time. Um, and we went to a treatment center in Colorado. And the only reason I bring I know we aren't. We were asked not to talk about treatment centers, but the treatment center was real significant in my in my story. In that, it was there I first got um, pushed into pushed into Al-Anon, and it was there that I think I first recognized something spiritual going on with me. What I'm going to describe to you now is we we did go to this treatment center and. We were there for about four days, and during the period of time I was there, I was either with a counselor, I was with Al-Anon folks, or I was with the children. And I was with the children the least, because when I was when I was not in counseling, when I was not in, in um, an Al-Anon meeting or with Al-Anon folks, my ex had absconded somewhere with those kids, and I. You know, I didn't know where they had gone. And I felt abandoned, and I felt betrayed and tricked. And I um, guess I prayed a lot, and I asked for guidance for about four days. And after about the fourth day, I remember waking up that fourth day on that morning, and very, very early, and this was in Colorado, and it was in the summertime, and it was beautiful, and it was very quiet, and it was quiet in here. It had not been quiet in there for um, years. And I can remember somewhere in the depths of my being, I heard um, a voice that said something like, this is not where you're to be. This is not the family you need to be with. Okay? Well, I don't believe in voices anyway, but <laughs> somewhere down in, inside me, 
I was being given, I believe, some kind of a message. And that calm, quiet feeling stayed. One of the things I was beginning to learn because of the Al-Anon program was that I had to make some choices and I had to be responsible for what happened to me. I couldn't be an extension of somebody else. Um, I couldn't blame somebody else. And if I got in the way of my higher power's will, then I still had to I still had to live with whatever the whatever the um, results were. I believe that I was getting a message from my higher power, and that I needed to act on this. A divorce had already been filed. He had been asking for a divorce for about six months. I didn't want one. I still didn't want one. And I didn't want one even with this calm, quiet feeling that I had inside. But I guess I believed that if that was the direction that it was going to go, that I needed to finally accept that and let God take care of whatever it was he needed to take care of. I left that treatment center. That was in 1981. I have not seen those two kids or him since. Up until that time, I have said I had unreasonable fears, unrealistic fears. This was one of those unreasonable fears, I thought, that became a reality. And it was one of the worst fears that I had, that I would not have any contact with those two kids. But I also believed at that time that I had to do something different, that I had to make a change, that the choices that I made had just gotten me into difficulty. So I guess I was taking step one about then. You know, I was saying I'm powerless over these circumstances, this person, this place, thing, um, and I need to get out from under and let my higher power assist me in not being helpless because I don't believe I, I am helpless. I was certainly acting helpless. I had to learn to ask for guidance and I had to learn to listen to my higher power. And I guess the, the Al-Anon Fellowship has been what our literature sometimes refers to as a road map. I got myself a sponsor. Um, I spent days with every day with her for a year talking about not what was going on with me because I I didn't talk very much at that time. and But she talked about what had happened to her and her story is real close to mine. Which was kind of... Um, I thought my higher power was to put this woman in my life too. To, to oh, startle me into listening and, and being receptive to what might be something I need to really address. Every time she opened her mouth, I thought she'd been reading my diary or looking in the windows of my house. Um, and I had her for about a year. And I moved to, I'd been in the program now two years. A year in Casper, and then I was out about a year, and then I was in a year in Montana. Then I moved back to Wyoming. And there the Al-Anon program has just taken off for me. Um, it helped me really get into um, the 12 steps. 
I got into service work immediately after I got shown, although I, I did a little bit. I should take that back. I did a little bit of service work when I was in um, Montana, not in Casper, because I wasn't there for me then. But when I went into Mo- in Montana, I had gotten the idea that I needed some help. I was making myself sick. I was, in fact, killing myself if I didn't do something about my health. Um, and I did things like set up rooms, I did things like chair meetings. Um, I did a lot of things wrong. I was one of those people who who didn't like to do things new because new thing new people are people doing new things make errors. And I didn't like to make errors. I didn't like to make fool of myself, as Robert sometimes says. I made a lot of errors, and you know what? I have I have learned to laugh at myself. I remember a meeting I sat in uh, in Sheridan, and the folks were just laughing and having such a good time as we do. And I remember saying to them, I don't think this is very funny. This is a real serious subject we're talking about here. And they said, yeah, you just keep coming back. <laughs> By that time, I guess I had really turned my life and will over to my higher power. And a god wasn't an unfamiliar uh, concept to me. But the god of my understanding growing up was far away, um, sitting on a throne, too busy for an insignificant person like Judy. And today, my higher power not only has given me a voice, but sits right here every day. And most of the time, that's okay. But there, then there's the other part of the time that my higher power has to be right here or else I falter and I get lost. That's real significant to me because I walk a real fine line and I'm real, I'm real aware of it right now where I wasn't before, that I can fall off into old behavior so quickly. It's just, I've been in the program 18 years now. And I do understand that you don't graduate. But it doesn't seem like you should be able to fall off so easily. You still do. It's, it's just a, it's an amazing program to me. I know that my higher power isn't too busy to address the smallest thing that I need to address whether I ask for it or not out loud because my higher power knows what I need. Puts people in my life to help me laugh. Puts people in my life to help me um, realize that if I laugh at myself and make myself vulnerable, um, I grow. Uh, Isetta said um, last night she wouldn't have been up here if she didn't have to. Well, I said no for a while about doing this kind of thing when I got into the program. Let's say, because I've only been telling my story in total for about two and a half years. I said no for a long time because before I got in the program, I said yes to everything. And I thought I had to learn to say no. But in the process of saying no, I think I... I, um, retarded my growth. I don't like to take risks, but here I am. And and that's how I'm growing. And I am very grateful to the opportunity, um, this, ad- this adventure in life that Al-Anon has given me. I wouldn't trade for a million dollars. I remember taking my fourth and fifth step and recognizing that I didn't have to be prettier, skinnier, richer, smarter. I just had to be me. And that was the hardest thing in the world for me to do, was just be me. I wanted to be like you or you or... um, somebody I wasn't and now I'm learning that 
I kind of like the person that I'm developing into. I kind of like not having to be perfect and um, feeling like I can be funny sometimes and I can fall on my face and get up and laugh and there are people around me to give me support, to give me unconditional love, um, to help me make new choices and get back on track. In doing the fourth and fifth step, I guess I recognize that um, Al-Anon is a two-way street, not just to me, but from me as well as to me. When I first got into the program, it was probably three or four years before I started giving. And I think I started giving... um, to more than just my sponsor I'm talking about. Now, I gave to my sponsor, but in meetings I was mute. I said very little. Initially, all I could do was cry. Um, Then all I could do was sit. I must have heard an awful lot that was said at those meetings because I I can pull it out now. And I do believe that if if you're around it, you know, it goes in. And it's there when I need it. And it has, that has proven to be true. During the fourth and fifth steps, I also guess I gained some awareness about, and this has been a very difficult lesson to even start learning, that I had to learn to mourn the loss of two kids, that I had to learn to accept um, that that's the way it was, like it or not good, bad, or indifferent, that I had to move forward with that as I hung on to that for a long time. And I can't say that I was angry, but I was depressed. And I was taking it out on me. I took the responsibility for the whole relationship, not just my part of it. It was my fault. I had done, I had done everything. If there was a don't-do list, I did it. Okay. Um, I'll just mention right here because I, wa- I, I want to bring it back up later. Probably at that time that became the most one of the most significant readings in my um, Al-Anon fellowship was not from one of our our conference approved pieces of literature, but but from the AA Big Book, and that's page 449 on acceptance. I have read that and read that and read that, and it's it's still one of my very very favorite pieces of information about accepting what I don't really want to accept. I used to say what I wanted what I thought other people wanted me to say and do what other people wanted me to do. And that didn't get me the belonging that I wanted. That didn't get me the approval I wanted. That didn't get me the acceptance that I wanted. Well, now I think I'm saying more things that are mine. I have my own opinion, but it took the fellowship to to let me know that I, my opinion, my beliefs, my values were as important as yours, that I didn't have to be um, a clone of somebody else. Step six... This is one of my favorite things, because it's such a funny thing about what happened to me when I was learning the steps. Step six, as, as you all know, reads, we're entirely ready to, ha- to have God remove all these defects of character. For about four years, I read it in meetings to say, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defective characters. <laughs> I was still pretty sick, don't you expect? Boy... I'm still working on that. I'm still working on that. (laughs) And some of the things that have helped me work on that have have been the service that I've done in the program, which I told you I started by um, filling... er, uh, setting up rooms, chairing meetings, cleaning ashtrays, coffee cups, and so forth, opening rooms. And then I was... uh, 
I think Maxine said uh, one of his sharing meetings uh, this weekend about being a slow learner and doing things at the second half of somebody else's term. Well, that's the way I started out. I was a treasurer because somebody left. I was a uh, um, literature chairman because somebody left. And then I was a GR because somebody moved away. And, and then I just accepted that. I just stayed with it. But I'm sure that my DR um, re uh, experience started the same way. Somebody left and I filled in. And I went on into the area. Um, I can remember Margaret was chairman and um, I've, I did the last term of a coordinator, several coordinators as a matter of fact. Maybe I still hadn't made up my mind if I was going to learn this stuff or not. But every one of those experiences helped me not be so rigid about being a perfect, helped me. I don't, I don't like I don't like learning by errors, and I and I have to accept that it, that is the way that you learn. That's the only way that we learn. That's the only way I learn. In the process of of this, I told you I went. I returned to Sheridan um, after I left this treatment center and tried to find work. And this is real significant here when I'm telling you about I don't like to be new and I don't like learning and, and I'm just getting out of a rocky, to say the least, relationship, alcoholic relationship. And I looked for work and where do you suppose I got work? In an alcohol treatment center. And I couldn't imagine, you know, my sponsor said to me, Judy, your, your higher power, your God has got a real good sense of humor. You must really have to learn this well. <laughs> I did. I spent about a year and a half gaining a whole bunch of information from people who were not in recovery, from people who were not in recovery. And, and that's real significant information to me because I... I, I think in the process I was able to forgive this man that I'd been married to because I heard some information I'd not heard before. I believed that it was now, I believed it was a disease I couldn't cure, I couldn't control, I didn't cause. Um, and then I learned from a whole bunch of folks in the program who at one time I felt intimidated by and certainly couldn't say no to real re readily, um, and that's all of you. And I'm, I want to thank you for helping me learn, you know, that I can, um, I can say what I mean and mean what I say to you. To my father, too, who was a, a controller when I was growing up. Step seven, when I think of humble, it means to me um, knowing where the credit belongs for who I am and where I'm going and where I've been. And the credit doesn't belong to me. The credit belongs to my higher power. And... Whenever I ask for guidance, I know that it is with the understanding that if my higher power takes me in a direction that I don't necessarily want to go, that that's where I got to go. And I uh, and I often ask in my service work, um, the very I ask for the very best of God's will, and believe that he shows me what that is. That I don't have to guess what it is. He just shows me what it is. When we get to the um, step where we need to uh, make, make amends, make a list, that's the easy part. Becoming willing is the part that I found you know, really difficult because I'm such a hard-headed, I want to have my own way and I have my own will, and um, I, I, I know now that becoming willing to me means recognizing that I need to make a change. And just 
that concept is enough to make me willing. And my higher power does the rest. I know today that the person that I did the most harm to is me. Um, and, the, and I did that by not being honest with myself, not accepting some um, information, some facts that were facts, that were true, um, living in a fantasy world. Sometimes being too honest and saying things that would have been left best left unsaid. And I know that one of the things that heals me now is by trying to be the best me that I can. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. And I, that's, that's really helpful to me. In taking action to make amends, um, one of the things that I think has been most helpful to me is recognizing that if I make amends to you, my success at doing that is not what you do, but that I just make amends. And that's very difficult considering that I wanted approval and um, belonging the interesting thing about it is, though, I have found that I have more of that now than I had when I was trying to gain it by um, doing what I thought you wanted me to do. In making amends, one of, one of the places I have not been able to make direct amends is to my um, ex because I believe in, he married within three months, and in order to make amends to him, I felt like I would be causing more harm, and I do believe that if there is any harm or injury to other people, i got to stop. So I've, I've done that, I've had to do that in other ways. I, um, I guess I've made an effort at not putting him down, even even during the time when I was struggling with that, I made a, con a conscious effort not to. And I asked my sponsor to help me to do that too. I um, try not to treat anybody like I may have treated him or treat better people in my life, not repeating old behavior. Taking a personal inventory is something I continue to do daily. I, I think that sometimes that's as hard as doing the initial fourth and fifth step, this ten-step business that keeps us on track, but it keeps my record clear. I am frightened to death of going back to where I was. That terrifies me to think about 84 pounds losing my hair, developing ulcers, um, not being able to sleep, crazy. That's just crazy. And I don't want to die. I want very much to live and I want to live a different kind of life. So I have to pay attention to my attitudes, my words, my actions, and be as honest with myself especially as I can be. And that means that I'm honest with you. The other thing I have to do is allow my higher power's will to be the will that I act on, and I still get in the way. I, you know, get turn it over and take it back, and but I'm working on it. Let me tell you. Um, sat through prayer and meditation. Step eleven. I meditate a lot, which means that I listen. I, I do pray out loud, and, and my prayer may occur in a discussion with you, in a meeting. It doesn't necessarily mean that I go off by myself and talk out loud to my higher power. Because my higher power speaks, most of the time, speaks through other people. I have to have you all around me in order for my higher power to have a... Um, a voice. I read my ODAD and Courage to Change at night because it helps me program my sleep, I believe. Uh, I don't have the dreams I used to have. Um, I know some people read their books in the morning, and, and that doesn't work for me. I need the power of that 
suggestion at bedtime when I'm settled down and resting and it just swell it just sat you know it just fills me up and I go to sleep and I start the day probably with those same thoughts and I believe that I, I try anyway to be real aware of my higher power higher powers existence and influence in my life because that's the only way that I can make choices that I I'm not making but that are my higher powers will if that makes sense. That makes sense. Nod. Somebody nod to me. A couple of things I wanted to mention about um, the traditions which have been real influential in my recovery in Al-Anon have to do with um, equality the fellowship of equality and that we are we are all equal in this program I don't know that I wanted to be better than other people before I got into the program but I certainly put myself subservient to everybody before the program and it it is uh, you know that's a spiritual awakening for me to be on equal footing with everybody in this room no matter what and in the other parts of my life too that I that I don't have to um, be unimportant although that is one of the things I have to work on real hard I don't have to grow older and be a rigid old person because of Al-Anon I can be flexible I can learn um, until I die I can continue changing and growing and I really like that. I say that now when I just got done saying I don't like to be new and but you know there's a pro that process is is ongoing and and that's the way it is. I like it and I don't like it. See there was one other thing I wanted to mention about my Oh. Yeah. Tradition 4 talks about groups being autonomous and I was thinking in, in our sharing meeting earlier this weekend that one of the things that really strikes me about our program is the diversity in the fellowship. When I came to the program, when I grew up, I wanted to be just like everybody else and I didn't speak up, I didn't go on record as having an opinion because it would be different than yours. You know, today I have great value for our differences. That gives me a lot of um, freedom, that gives me self-respect, that gives me love, and that gives me courage. And finally, I want to mention the 12th step, but before I do, I need to tell you that I have made it part of this uh, information that I've given you a real tender piece of information about two children. The last time I saw them, as I told you, was in 1981 when I walked away from that treatment center. And I really did work hard on releasing them, uh, praying for them, as well as their father not understanding why but I don't have to ask that question anymore a year ago now I had contact with those two kids I uh, had uh, conversations on the phone with the son the boy who is now 22 and uh, at Christmas time I talked to the daughter um, on the telephone and she's 24 Live, having lives of their own and to my amazement they were very receptive to this contact that we had and it was a mutual reaching out because I had I had been afraid to um, due to some threats that were made way back when but I didn't want to interfere I didn't want to intrude I needed some things for me and I didn't want to 
I wanted my higher powers approval I guess and guidance for this because I just let it happen but about three years ago I began letting word uh, get to those two children and I didn't know where they were and they called me they wrote to me and I am so grateful for Al-Anon's help in allowing me to let go, let God. Um, I am not a bitter person from this relationship, and I, that, I, I was aware of that before. And it was, and it is exciting. It is really exciting to have contact with them again. I would never, I would never have dreamt this up myself. I would not have thought it possible, but it is. And it has happened, and it is an ongoing um, relationship. If I, if I were not to hear from them again, I guess it would be worth it. it this, this has just been a real, a real opening, and the door is still open on both sides. So with that, let me tell you that I believe that the 12-step, the spiritual awakening, is a promise. And it's a promise that only uh, my higher power can provide. And the best description that I, I've come across that, that helps me look at the differences in how I perceive life and how I've uh, changed in my behavior and feelings that I have and the thoughts that I have and the better relationships that I have today, it comes out of our, our new book, How Al-Anon Works, which says... I am not a bad person trying to become a good person or a stupid person trying to get smart, but a hurt person trying to heal. It's been very difficult to stand up here and tell you. You're a wonderful, wonderful group of people, and I guess I thank my lucky stars that Al-Anon has come into my life that people are in my life and I don't know where all these tears are coming from I'm very very grateful there is joy in my heart not sadness I love every one of you I thank you for this opportunity and I would like to read to you that passage out of the A Big Book that I really I do like very much um, on acceptance and maybe that will help me right at this particular moment too Page 449 says, And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept the person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Unless I accept Life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in, my, in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. Acceptance has taught me that there is a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us and that we are all children of God and we each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or you, I am complaining about God's handiwork I am saying that I know better. Thank you.